Welcome to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I am your host, Donnie Mae. This is the monthly show focused on building conversations around the team-based model approach to athletic performance, strength and conditioning, sports medicine, sports science, mental health and wellness, and sports nutrition. Welcome back to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Mabe, and man, I cannot believe we are already in December, man. The holidays are on us, but that's all right. We've made it through the fall. Hey, we've got uh, a special co-host today in the house that's going to be helping with the show. Uh, One of our staff members, uh, the UT Athletic Performance staff, Coach Joe Krawczyk. Say hello, Coach Joe. How's it going? Glad to have you on the show, Joe. Uh, I know... We're getting different staff on here from time to time so everybody can get to know them. But man, today has been kind of a kind of a build up for, for this episode this month. This show is a team behind the team. We could not think of a better guest than we're going to have on the show for you today. And man, I've been excited about this for a while. We've talked about it. We finally caught this guy. He's been busy going through the pandemic and dealing with and kind of keeping us all sane and safe. Without further ado, everybody, welcome to the show. Dr. James Bray, our team physician at UT. Say hello, Dr. Bray. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yes, this sir. We uh, we finally got you free for a moment. I mean, it's rare to catch Dr. Bray. He's not got something going on. So, Dr. Bray, thank you so much for making time. I know it's going to be a great show today. It's a pleasure. Well, Dr. Bray, we'll jump right in. And uh, I, I really want to just give you time to, you know, on this show, we've had nutritionists, sports scientists, strength coaches, uh, man, this is a really special episode in that, you know, when you look at the team behind the team, our student athletes, I mean, you're really, in my opinion, you're like the engine that like, if you guys don't do your job, we can't train them physically. They can't do nutrition. You can't treat them. And so you're kind of that hub that, man, we all go to that nobody sees really, right? Nobody sees you, but man, you're the engine that makes it the whole thing run. So go into your story today and kind of how did you get started in the, in the medical profession? How did you kind of lead into sport right up to UT? Kind of take us through the whole thing and, and give us that, that, that story, please. Sure. So I always knew that I was going to go into something in the, the scientific field. Both my parents are PhDs. My mom is in biochemistry. My father is in physics. So I pretty much had the basic sciences covered. And the one thing they said that I could never do would be a doctor. They thought I was too squeamish. Apparently, I, I, I didn't like the sight of uh, goats being butchered when I was like a six-year-old. So that kind of stuck in my craw. Like one of the things that gets me going, if somebody says I can't do something, then I, I want to show them they're wrong. And, and so that was always in the back of my mind. And then uh, I was greatly influenced by my dad's family physician, Dr. Crawford in Cedar Hill, Texas. He saw my dad and my whole dad's my dad's whole family. He saw me when I was a kid. He was so calm and so reassuring. And I thought, you know, I really want to be an influence like that in somebody's life. You know, that that you know, when things are going bad, somebody can step in and you know, make what's wrong right. Or if everything's okay and you're just worried, can calm you down. And I thought that mm-hmm. that is a, a somebody I want to be like. So you know, came time, you know, came to college. I actually uh, grew up. Uh, near Toronto, Canada, but uh, I came to UT in 1990 and just fell in love with the place from the first time I saw the LBJ library. And so I decided this is where I was going to come. 
came here with the goal of uh, going to med school and got to UT San Antonio. And it, I went to UT San Antonio with the idea that I was going to be a family physician, uh, just like Dr. Crawford. Mm-hmm. Well, I got there and there was uh, uh, Walter Kalmbach was there. He was a primary care sports med. And I'd never even heard of that. But as soon as I heard about, you know, sports medicine with primary care, I thought that's perfect because I played a lot of sports in high school, which tells you I wasn't really good in any of them. But uh, uh, I really enjoy, you know, competing and, and, and pushing. And so the thought of being able to be involved with sports and medicine, well, that's just, you know, the perfect marriage. So when I went to uh, decide where to go for uh, residency, I picked a place. Uh, it's in North Carolina. Moses Cone Family Practice and Dr. Bert Fields is a mentor of mine and he's a, a primary care sports med doc since you know before there was such a thing and went out there for four years got trained up came back my intention was to be you know a small town doctor who could also hang out at, at high school football games and take care of injuries and, and things yeah. that come up so uh, just, you know, normal life things happen, wound up uh, uh, close to Austin again, living in Georgetown, Texas, just north of Austin. And uh, the team position at the time, Mark Tasse asked if I could help cover a few games. And, uh, you know, he knew, he knew my allegiance to UT. And, and of course, I jumped at the chance. And so then in 2012, when uh, Dr. Tasse decided to, to take a, a different job, he, he advised that I apply for this job. And at the time, I was a little hesitant, but boy, after the first week, I knew that this is what I was born to do. So I I really love working here. I love my job. It really melds a lot of the things that I like to do, which is, you know, try to be a calming, reassuring presence in in people's lives. And at the same time, uh, be involved with sports and athletes and and also uh, get to, to push the boundaries a little bit to, you know, to find out. You know, uh, you know where where can we find some advantages in training or nutrition? That's where you know being immersed with experts such as yourself and our nutritionists really you know professionally is very satisfying. Um, and so um, so yeah, that's how uh, I came to to get to do what I do today. The guy you you one of your mentors you mentioned he was in kind of sports med. I mean, did he have a little influence on kind of when you were making that transition into sports? Uh, yeah, like uh, uh, which one? There's Dr. Kalmbach at San Antonio, but uh, Bert Fields is the yeah. one who really, yeah, he's the one out in North Carolina. And, and anybody in the primary care sports field, uh, sports medicine field knows uh, Bert Fields. I mean, he he has been so influential and he really brings a, a uh, level of, um, well, how should I say, like a, a, a high level of medicine to sports. I mean, he, he was... Uh, the one that, uh, um, you know, started using ultrasound uh, to diagnose uh, uh, musculoskeletal injuries, you know, because you can see them dynamically. And he oh, did a wow. lot of uh, um, cardio, uh, cardiac testing, stress testing, but, you know, changing the parameters so that they're more appropriate for athletes, uh, not just, you know, everyday patients. I mean, I, you know, uh, you had to kind of adjust things when you're dealing with an athletic population because, you uh, because, like as he pointed out, like he's had marathon runners who who could uh, uh, you know run the normal tests and not have any problems. But if you adjust the test to try to pick it up, you find out they they have blockages. They've just had uh, uh, you know enough training to get around it. So uh, oh, wow. things like that. He really brought an integrity to the the um, the sports field that I really appreciate. 
uh, with his influence. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, that's cool. So uh, we all know you. We we love seeing you around, um, especially before, you know prior to COVID, seeing the weight room coming down, working out. But you know, I, I think what I'd really like to know is you know what's your day to day like. If I were to shadow you, um, you know, what would I see you be doing? Uh, you know, what what teams would you be working with? You know, more consistently. Um, yeah. So there. Well, that's that's easily divided into pre-COVID and post-COVID. So uh, <laughs> the. <laughs> The, the pre-COVID era, uh, my day would uh, uh, be spent, most days spent in clinic. I would be here uh, like nine to noon and then again, one to five uh, most days uh, seeing uh, either musculoskeletal injuries or, uh, you know, common primary care illnesses. Um, there would be an afternoon uh, a week that I would meet with the, the different uh, performance teams and we go over uh, athletes of interest um, and, uh, you know, we would coordinate our care. Um, there would be uh, uh, several events at night that I would uh, then cover. So after I'd wrap up in clinic, I'd go cover, you know, in the fall, uh, we cover uh, any home volleyball uh, game, any home soccer match or a home and away uh, football. Um, and then in the winter, that would be more, uh, the, the basketballs. And then in, in the spring, it'd be more, um, the softball and, uh, uh, baseball. So, you know, I'd basically spend my time, uh, in clinic during the day. And then in, in the evenings, um, several nights a week, you know, covering games, which essentially involves just sitting there watching a game, but being ready to, to switch it into doctor mode. If something gets hurt, um, there was one experience I had where, I was covering a, a double header uh, for baseball. So I was there all day uh, 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 working, quote unquote. And then I got home, flopped down on the couch. And I think our softball team was being televised. And I just sat there and turned it on and started watching it. And I thought, uh, uh, if I'm going to do this on my spare time, and it's a good thing they, I get paid for it during the day. So that's, right. so that's when I knew I knew it was doing what I, I love to yeah. do. Because it seems I, I do it even when I have time off. So in any case, post, post COVID now involves a lot more zoom meetings and, uh, um, you know, you're always looking for a silver lining. And if there is one, I've gotten to know a lot more people throughout the organization because of all the extensive planning and preparation that we've been doing to try to keep our athletes and staff safe. So now a lot of my mornings are spent on various, uh, zoom meetings, um, with, either the athletic directors here or the uh, athletic trainers in our sports med department or uh, in the big 12. I'm on a couple different committees and we meet, uh, you know, an hour on Mondays, an hour on Thursdays, again, just trying to uh, catch up on, on what COVID is throwing our way and how we're going to plan to, to mitigate for, uh, for it and, and move forward, trying to keep everybody safe and healthy. Um, you know, a lot of those meetings, I mean, there's a reason that we're trying to go forward with that, and, and I, I don't want that to be lost in the, the, the uh, um, chaos or the anxiety that is COVID, and that is that there is a benefit to the exercise. There's a benefit for team sports, and I think truly there's a benefit for, for collegiate athletes to be participating in their sport. Um, and so to, to take that away because you're worried about COVID introduces risks that you weren't anticipating, whether they're behavioral health, uh, whether they're just physical health, you know, um, I think that, you know, our endeavors here at UT and in the conference uh, have gone a long way towards trying to, to maintain some 
uh, sense of normalcy for, for our athletes, but also maintain their health and, and both mental and physical. That's a good point about, uh, you know, you don't, you, you kind of take that for granted, the piece where kids, and I think we've seen that on the performance side, Dr. Bray, with, you know, just being back on campus, we're still, we're still practicing and doing stuff in our little bubbles, right? But kids are not out walking around like they did at class because they're all on Zoom with virtual classes. And you, something that simple that you take for granted still has a, an effect on their bodies that they're not burning them any of these calories. So we've got to find creative ways to kind of keep them engaged. So, yeah, that's definitely a great point you made that, you know, that I think a lot of people sometimes miss because it's definitely there's a lot more to this than, than what you think. So. Uh, yeah, take, taking it away. There's a taking away their their quote unquote normal life comes at a cost, and that shouldn't be uh, forgotten. Yeah, it's good. Um, you kind of touched on this a little earlier, but talk about your why for just a quick quick second. Why did you get into medicine? But more specifically, what was it that drew you? You said you were hesitant about the UT job just a little bit before you applied. But what was that why that kind of drew you into that? What was that? Uh, good question. So, well, I, I alluded to before the initial one, the one that got me uh, piqued my interest initially was that I was told I couldn't do it. Then it turned into uh, I want to be a net benefit in the world and uh, was looking for ways to, to uh, connect with people and to, uh, you know, calm anxieties. I think that, uh, um, having skills and knowledge and experience that you can share with other people uh, and let them, you know, that brings them some sense of comfort, especially in times where they're troubled, either you know, physically or mentally or both. Uh, that, that really uh, keeps me going. You know, I think uh, there are some doctors uh, who really enjoy the, the, the challenge, the, the, the puzzle of medicine. They want to be, you know, like the doctor house types that, are, that really want to I mean, I know he's fictional, but, you know, that that character of of wanting, you know, the, the harder the puzzle, the better, whereas I tend to be on the other end of the spectrum. I mean, I enjoy a good, you know, medical mystery as much as anybody, but uh, I get just as much satisfaction for from somebody coming to me with something that I know is completely benign, but they're worried about it. And having an opportunity to, to be able to 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 calm somebody down and, and, and allay their fears and uh, um, and let them know that it's going to be all right. Uh, that means as much to me and my practice of medicine as uh, uh, the, the problem solving does. So that I really find uh, uh, drives me. Um, and just being part of a team, which I think what initially gave me some hesitation about uh, coming to UT was that I, I had a lot of job satisfaction where I was before. And, you know, if you have something good going, you you always like hesitate, like, what am I giving up to go do this? Uh, but I knew within the first you know week of being here that the, the team atmosphere here, which, you know, in retrospect, shouldn't have been surprising in a, you know, an athletic setting. But the, just the, the collaboration here uh, is, uh, uh, I find, second to none. I think that the culture here of communication and working together uh, for a common goal, and there's no uh, individual glory. We're all trying to... to help these kids do the best they can. And when I say the best they can, I don't just mean athletically, but academically. I mean, it's just really gratifying to, to see these kids uh, come in as wide-eyed freshmen and they leave 
uh, you know, a little more savvy about the world, a little more savvy about their health, a little more savvy about their sport, uh, and they're ready to kind of tackle the world, you know, in the next step. I mean, there's a lot of satisfaction in that for me as well. And, and that's the, uh, another one of my whys, um, the, I, I was telling you that, you know, one of my goals was to be like a Dr. Crawford and be a, a small town doctor. And, uh, it occurred to me not too long ago that, uh, I have carved that out here to a certain extent. I mean, I have a small town of, of 500 athletes who, who considered me to be their go-to doctor. And, and, you know, I'm, my door's always open and they come to me with problems big and small. And, uh, I find that extremely satisfying. So you, oh, yeah, you mentioned a couple of things there, Dr. Bray, you know, being a part of the team and being there for the athletes and, you know, how would you define, you know, the performance team model and more specifically maybe with, you know, co-staff and coaches, ATs, nutritionists, um, other than just between you and the athletes. Yeah. So that's, uh, um, one of the things I find, uh, very exciting here. You know, the model I came from is, you know, the, the doctor, the, the team, uh, is the doctors at the head of the team and everybody else does what the doctor says. And, uh, the, the model here is much more, we rely on each other's expertise. And, uh, it's one of those cases where the, the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. I mean, I, I think that, you know, when, when like, for instance, the strength and conditioning staff, um, you know, I rely on y'all to tell me how to get somebody to that next level. I mean, somebody's injured and, you know, our training is get them back to normal, but when our athletes aren't normal, our athletes, as I alluded to before, they're, they're performing at a much higher level than normal. And, you know, the, the, the medical books don't cover that. I mean, some do, but that's not classic training. And so mm-hmm. being able to, to get them to a certain point, but then rely on, on strength and conditioning staff to say, you know, what does this person need to be working on to get to that next level, to get back to where, you know, they can perform you know, at a, a NCAA level, um, that that's part of the performance team. And, and that, you know, goes across dietitians, that goes across athletic trainers. I mean, I'm, we're always counting on each other's expertise and uh, opinions and eyes and ears. I mean, we, you know, y'all look at an athlete move and see one thing. I look at them and see another and, you know, our combined uh, observations can can come up with a plan that's much better than either one of us individually can do. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I see the, our performance team really shining here because we, we have ample opportunity uh, given just our, our, our uh, propinquity to one another, you know, and also the, the ability that we have and the culture we have to communicate. That's good. I think to kind of allude to Joe's question too, I mean, again, you you cross over so many different relational areas with coaches, with with our staff, perform like strength and conditioning, uh, nutrition, uh, mental health, sports med. From just from your perspective and experience, uh, what have been some like key traits that you've seen in team cultures that some of the most successful or more more successful, I should say, teams and staff? What have you seen? Kind of what kind of pops out in your mind? Uh, those top traits that, and qualities that you you've seen that you know that that would would work the best for being successful. Are you talking about like professional teams, like uh, like healthcare teams or performance teams? You're talking about actual like student athletes, like the yeah. volleyball team, the football team. So I think two layers would be um, my curiosity is like performance team, like 
you know, strength staff, pinnacle. You kind of talked about that a little bit already. But then also the sport team itself here, like at UT, like what have you seen some of the better teams? Like what do you see traits in that team culture that helps them be successful as a as a as a team doctor? Yeah. So the performance team part, first, um, I I think that part of um what lends to success is that we, uh, generally speaking, and part of our culture is to work in the background. Like nobody's doing this to promote themselves. Yeah. Nobody's like out in front or, you know, arm in arm with the athlete, you know, on, on TV saying, look what we did. It's more like we're working in the background and letting the athlete, uh, uh, you know, be out front, be center stage. And we're, you know, communicating behind in the background, but letting them uh, uh, take that on because honestly, it also gives the athlete ownership. I mean, it, it, it puts the athlete still in control and we're there in the supportive role, but we're not, you know, they're not dependent on us. They're, uh, you know, uh, you know, they use us to, to help them get to that next stage, but they can also, you know, the, the most gratifying thing is when they don't need us anymore and they can go on and, and do it on their own. Um, the, uh, uh, our ability to communicate, I think I alluded to that before. And uh, uh, and just, uh, I know from my point of view, it's, uh, or from a physician point of view, it's to stay out of the way. I mean, honestly, not to, you know, um, to realize that, that as, you know, the MD behind my name uh, can be intimidating to some people. And so, A, not to let that be, because I want to know what other people are thinking. And if I interject, you know, my opinion, sometimes that's going to quash uh, other people's perspective. And that's, that's what makes us strong is the different mm-hmm. perspectives. Um, and frankly, you know, uh, um, I have seen that happen with some of my colleagues where, you know, we are, as a physicians, we're normally paid to give our uh, opinion. And so <laughs> too often, we're more than ready to, to throw it out there at a drop of a hat. And I think that, um, you know, having the ability to listen to each other. I mean, truly listen and not just talk past each other as a team really makes us uh, uh, the performance team stronger um, because then you really get, you know, buy-in and, and uh, two people who are collaborating on something versus two people who are, are trying to convince each other that their point of view is right. Good. So that's the, the, those communication skills and communication skills include listening more than talking. Uh, and then uh, uh, being able to be humble in the face of, of you know, the, the uh, challenges that we're facing. And yeah, especially, boy, I tell you what, if I didn't know that before COVID, I am, I've been humbled multiple times by this pandemic. And so that's uh, uh, a lesson that, uh, I'll, that I've learned, you know, in the past six months, another silver lining, I guess. Um, sports teams, what I've seen here is, you know, the athletic teams, is when they're they're student led. I mean, it, you know, the coach um, is there providing instruction and providing motivation. But boy, I, I tell you what, there's something magical when you see uh, uh, sports like the the athletes take over themselves and start you know policing themselves and start holding each other accountable. It just it it takes it to the next level. That's good. Thank you, Doc. Well, Doc, you built a lot of trust with you know, the staff and a lot of rapport with, with the athletes as well. And, you know, as a physician, what's your approach? Like, how have you done that successfully over your time at Texas? You know, whether it's, 
getting an athlete to trust you when they come to the training table or getting a staff member to trust, you know, your opinions? Uh, I think I would like to think it's because uh, I try to listen to, to what's going on behind the words that they're saying. Um, you know, like for instance, with somebody's coming in, um, insisting they need an MRI, you know, when I don't think they need it, as opposed to just saying, no, you don't need that. Try to delve into like, what, what is driving this? Why do you feel like you need this MRI? And if you can address the underlying problem, and sometimes they're right, honestly, sometimes if you give somebody a chance and you say, you know, I don't think you need it. Why do you think you need the MRI? And they have a good reason. And if you're willing to say, oh, okay, now I get it. Let's do that. Then that I think builds some trust. Uh, and then, um, yeah. And then just being willing to, to listen to the opinion of the, the person uh, that is coming to you, either the athlete. I always try to, to end every uh, visit with uh, a, a question that was uh, taught to me in residency. And that is, have I addressed, you know, what you thought you needed today? Like, did it, was there something on your mind that you think you needed that I didn't talk about? Uh, because oftentimes, you know, somebody will sit there, especially freshmen, you know, a younger athlete, and, and they come in, you know, with headaches or whatever their problem is, and, and you just launch into what you would normally do for, for, say, headaches, and you find out that wasn't what they were there for. They're, you know, they're not actually worried about the headaches. And so giving a, a chance to, to have a, uh, somebody explain to you what it is that they truly want and, and then addressing that. And even if I don't think it's the right thing, at least it, it gives me an opportunity to explain to them why, as opposed to, you know, then somebody leaving saying he didn't even listen to me or he didn't, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, and so I, I really think that uh, um, listening uh, is a skill that uh, uh, is, is hard to practice, especially, you know, we get busy, we got Zoom meetings to get to, you know, you're looking at somebody and thinking, I know what your problem is, we can just get that, you know, knocked out. And taking the time to, to, to make yourself pause and say, you know, what, what is this, or what about this is troubling you and how can I help address that? I think that helps really build uh, a trust. And, and the athletes know that, that that's what I'm here for. It's not just the, the pebble medicine or just to, 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 you know, write prescriptions or order tests. It's to actually address what's troubling you. Yeah, I could see how that would, especially like you said, younger kid, younger athletes that are deer in the headlights. You think they came in for one thing, they leave and like they got a completely different experience and, um, you know, message than what you actually thought you got. So that's, that's great advice today. I mean, because I mean, I'd really just be able to read people and just kind of, and again, I think that like you just said, it takes time for people to, to learn how to communicate and kind of lower their guard a little bit and open up too. So, but to, but you gotta be patient with people, like you said, so that's good. Um, next question. Uh, I have, this is probably one of my favorite ones. Um, not that we would ever have any at Texas. We never would, of course. Right. But, you know, just watching you over the years, Dr. Bray, I, I just feel like you've done, you know, you just have, like you said, I think you said earlier, the calming presence to you. How do you, how have you dealt with at a big school like Texas, high pressure, uh, high expectations all the time? How have you dealt with like really tough, demanding coaches, competitive coaches that, man, they're fighting to win 
And you may have to go and give information about an athlete that, hey, they may not be able to go now. How how have you done that so masterfully? Like what what have you what's kind of the secret sauce to that, Doc? Well, I've I've heard of coaches like that. I, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I'm here. I've read about it. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, first of all, um, if you're a coach and that's what you're passionate about, then you're gonna be driving. I mean, otherwise you shouldn't, you know, a driving personality, you're always looking you know, where can the improvement be made? I mean, that's just what, you know, coaches are supposed to be. And so just realizing that, first of all, like there, no, no matter the situation, a good coach is always looking for a situation and how it can be made better. And they're not looking at, you know, uh, uh, what, what you've done so far to get them as good as they are or as good as, you know, a situation is. They're always looking at that last 2%. You know, it could be 98% good, and they're looking at that last 2%. And so you got to understand that that's where they're going to be coming from. And that's their job. I mean, that's, that's what they're supposed to do. That's what we want them to do. Um, so the way that I um, get through that, or I, I try to, to communicate with any coach like that is uh, something that was, uh, again, taught to me early on, which, which made uh, no sense to me at the time why they were telling me this but it has proven to be one of the, the, the tenets that a physician I think should live by no matter what specialty that you're in. And that is always do what's best for the patient. So the, the, the patient you have in front of you, if you're you know trying to figure out what to do in any given situation, doing what's best for that individual is, should be your North star should be what you're, you're going for. And so uh, I realized that the, the, you know, a coach has a game to worry about and who's going to win the game, who's going to learn, lose the game. That's not my problem. My problem is the individual who's right in front of me who needs my help and I'm going to do the best I can for that individual. And honestly, if that's the goal, that is always defendable and no coach is going to, to contradict that. I mean, I, they, they calm down or, you know, not that they would get riled up, but you know, they, they see, if you can explain that to them, they get it. And that, you know, thankfully, uh, we've had coaches at Texas who understand that, that the, the individual athlete is important. And, you know, of course, a coach's job is to worry about win losses and, and you know, trying to do what's best for the entire team, because that's their job. But my job is to pay attention to the one athlete who's put in front of me and is my patient. That's good advice. Good stuff. Thanks, Doc. Well, shifting gears a little bit, uh, Doc, where do you see the future of medicine and sports heading? Are there any major innovations or advances that, you know, could impact how athletes are cared for? Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't want to sound like I'm uh, uh, you know, going to be using the next uh, major, I don't know, performance enhancing uh, <laughs> drug or something <laughs> like that. But, yeah. but uh, uh yeah, so I think that uh, uh, genetics is going to be huge. And uh, I think that being able to tailor a, uh, a training program to some of these specific genetics is going to be the next next level just across the board sports medicine. I mean, I think that um, from my time here, I've seen uh, quick twitch athletes who, you know, if you try to train them the same way that you would do with some more uh, – uh, you know, uh, a grinder that you're going to, you're going to break them down. And, uh, but you don't know who they are. Like it's hard to know 
who other than just having a, a gut feeling for it but uh i think that we're going to get to the point where you know we're we're checking a, a blood test when they get here and we're going to have uh genetic markers that are going to say okay this person they should do intense exercise three times a week and that's it and that you're going to get the best performance out of this genetic profile by doing it that way whereas you know this person they're a grinder. They're not going to, you mean, you're, they're not going to wow you by their, their jumping skills uh, or their flash, but you can every day, an hour in the weight room, and they're going to make it up, you know, that way because their body can take it. So I think that there's going to be uh, a lot of ways to tailor how to train and frankly, how to rehab as well uh, based on genetic information. Uh, yeah, that's going to be like my, my follow on is, is how would that affect, you know, say an athlete, breaks their leg, you know, would that also affect their recovery? Yeah, I think so. I think we're going to have a much better idea who is a, a quick healer, uh, who is, uh, you know, somebody who has uh, more loose ligaments. Uh, and so you have yeah. to you know, compensate for that with, with muscle tone. Um, I think that, you know, there's just going to be a, a lot of information that we're going to be able to categorize with a relatively cheap genetic profile and be able to really tailor uh, sports to, to uh and rehab and, and and training to their individual genetic type i mean i think already we've sort of seen forays into this with with just general medicine you know like the cholesterol types and you know certain types of uh, uh myopathy like certain types of, of muscle disorders uh and i think that it's just a matter of time before that envelope just keeps getting pushed back and back until we're dealing with a population that you would otherwise consider to be normal they're not pathologic per se, but we're still able to profile, uh, you know, what, what training or rehab would look best for them. I'll tell you, that's interesting. You say that, I mean, that would definitely genetics. You start talking about that, that would play you. You start talking about recruiting and development, man, that, that changes the whole ball game. Yeah. You start getting kind of be able to peel back the layers and look into the, the DNA of what people are not only they have, but what are their, their potential, what they could, could be one day, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's uh, definitely uh, ethical questions to be uh, answered as we we get into that realm. Uh, and uh, um, smarter people than me will have to decide. Uh, I'm just excited to see how how it develops. It's amazing. Yeah, it's good. Um, so just again, no, knowing you, Dr. Bray, over the years, you know, observing and just relationship I've had with you. You've always been a guy I've always admired in the sense of you always seem curious and you have like this, I feel like you got this growth mindset. You're always trying to learn, not just from medicine, but other areas so that you're well-rounded as a team doc. And I think that's unique. I mean, even watching you train and the passion you have for, for lifting and training and running and for your own health and fitness has been great. But what are some uh, what are some things you do to you got any routines or resources you use to keep learning and growing and expanding your knowledge? What do you do for that, Doctor Bray? Um, well, one uh, is I let curiosity lead me. Uh, if something if something piques my interest, and this is something I've learned from my wife, that uh, uh, there's you can learn a lot if you just you know answer the questions that your own brain is putting in your head. A little side story, uh, we were on vacation, newlyweds, we were on vacation, I think we were in Taos, New Mexico, and yeah. uh, she had some question about an opera singer, 
And this was pre like iPhone days, pre like just about pre internet even. And we, she made me drive over to the the Taos Public Library so she could go look it up. Like we were in the middle of our vacation, and she could not let this go until she went and looked it up. So I'm not uh, that passionate about it, but I do like to follow, you know, questions where they they lead me. And so, um, as far as research, I mean, honest, you know, everybody knows like Google's a great resource. You just have to be able to parse out what's uh, your sources are, you know, and, and be able to see what's just thrown on the internet and what, what can be trusted, what the sources of, of that material are. Uh, and that takes practice. Um, there is a, a, a medical website that I go to frequently called up to date. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, um, an excellent source for, for physicians and, and anybody in healthcare really to look up, well, what's, what's the latest. Um, and, you know, people, uh, uh, the authors update that regularly um but uh but like i say i mean the google scholar is something that i hit at least once a day uh because uh, especially now with covid because you know the curiosity takes me in all kinds of different directions mm-hmm. and uh um you know taking the time to, to satisfy that curiosity can lead you in a lot of interesting places both i'll be honest not just medicine i mean i'll tell you another uh source i have about a uh 30 to well, and sometimes in office tra- Austin traffic, a 60 minute drive home and podcasts are a great way to just, you know, be aware of what's happening in the world and, and uh, um, you know, hearing about different areas of thought. Uh, um, behavioral economics is fascinating to me. Um, you know, just hearing stories from, from all over. I mean, it's just a great way to, to again, pique curiosity and follow curiosity. What, what's some of your go-to podcasts, Doctor Bray? What would you What would you say you kind of you, your go-to's? Uh, lately, has been uh, uh, one called uh, "99 Percent Invisible," uh, and it's all about design. Um, but there's also uh, Freakonomics Radio, and then uh, another one by uh, the same guy um, is uh, uh, "No Stupid Questions." That's a great one because it uh, uh, literally, I mean, it's just two really smart people asking each other questions or having, you know, questions mailed into them that, that, uh, um, that they say no stupid questions, you know, just, and they take it to the nth degree. So it's, it's, uh, uh, always uh, fascinating and they, they approach it humbly. I mean, that's the other thing is, is like, and you guys know this, uh, anybody who's confident they know everything about something doesn't like it's the, the, what's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. I mean, the more you learn about a subject, the more humble you become in the face of the breadth of knowledge that you don't know. And so it's like that paradoxical, uh, you know, situation where, you know, the people who are the smartest think that they're about average and the people who don't know anything about a subject think that they know the most. <laughs> That's so true. That's you, you, like you said, you, the more you read and study, and you get older, you're like, Oh, I don't know anything. <laughs> exactly. And so that's, that's another uh, tip that I use for myself. If I feel like I got something conquered, I probably am overestimating my my knowledge <laughs> about that. And I better keep looking. <laughs> That's good. good. Good resources there, Doc. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Well, kind of building on those resources, uh, you, you kind of talked about, you know, figuring out with, you know, what's a legitimate resource and what's not, you know, kind of siphoning your way through Google. Um, and, and over the past few months, you've really kind of been leading our staff through the whole COVID era, you know, this past summer, past eight months. Um, 
what would your advice, you know, be to our listeners or, or you know, other coaches in navigating through the COVID era in sports? Well, being humble, I kind of built on what I just said, like knowing that that you're going to be wrong uh, in two weeks. You just don't know what it is that you're thinking is going to be wrong. But I mean, the way that uh, I mean, frankly, the way that the knowledge has progressed. I mean, when I can sit back and 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 take myself emotionally out of the situation. I mean, this whole pandemic, academically speaking, has been fascinating and and not just, you know, uh, the disease itself, but also the collaboration. I mean, I, I, when I take time to think about it, I am truly grateful for the time that we live in right now, that we have scientists from all over the world collaborating in real time on this, you know, existential crisis. I mean, I, this is not something that has ever happened before. And, you know, we're, we're talking about it. You know, we're complaining that the vaccine is going to take almost a year. Yeah. I mean, that, that's insane that no vaccine has ever come out that and, and it's because of, you know, the work that's been done both prior to the, the pandemic. And then, you know, all of a sudden, all the all the minds turn towards this one problem and seeing the progress that we make. And that, you know, on a day by day basis, it feels like just maddeningly slow because it's day by day. But, it, you know, anytime I have a chance to step back and take a look at what is being accomplished, it 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 is just, you know, uh, very humbling. Um, so first of all, just being grateful for that. Uh, and, and that you know, the other thing is, is, you know, um, listening to the consensus. I mean, you, you know, the, I know that there are like quote unquote differing opinions, but they're, you know, really, I think those are more politically based, but you know, the, the, uh, scientists around the world are kind of, uh, not always marching in the same direction, nor would you want them to be. You want people exploring, you know, different ideas. But I mean, I think some of the basic tenets are there and, you know, with the social distancing and the masking, I mean, all that uh, has been pretty much you know, uh, shown to work. And so, you know, I guess what I would say, you know, to somebody who, who is just, you know, paying attention to this the first time is the more uh, excited a headline gets you, the less likely it is to be, you know, true because, you know, headlines are out there to get your attention. And uh, um, whereas, you know, good news and, and facts tend to be a little bit on the boring side and they don't tend to make headlines. I mean, every once in a while, like, you know, the, the latest one I think is the, the, the vaccine is 90% effective. But uh, um, even that, I mean, if, if, if your first reaction is, you know, a big emotional reaction, whether it's anger or happiness or whatever, your second reaction should be like, whoa, why did I just have that? And let me just kind of dig a little bit beneath, beneath that surface and, and figure out what the real, you know, the what's underlying that. Because most of the time, good news kind of creeps up on you and bad news hits you in the face all of a sudden. So, it's mm-hmm. good. All right. Um, got a couple more questions here. So, this one a little bit more kind of talking about your family. You know, we work in an industry where there's really, especially, I mean, and you've seen this with COVID, it's even gotten more like there's really no work. You don't know what day is like Groundhog Day. But you know that like being around coaches, I've seen coaches in the past, it's their families just, you know, get split apart because the, the dad's never home. But just being around you, traveling with you some, with volleyball or whatever over the years, your beautiful wife, two wonderful kids, um, 
man, it Thank seems you. like you do just an incredible job to me. I know we're not perfect, but you do a great, you're, you're the best at what you do at work, but then you got this amazing family. Like what, how do you do your work-life balance? How do you approach that, Doc? Well, first of all, uh, credit goes to, to Kendall, my wife, uh, because as you mentioned, I'm on the road a lot. I mean, and, you know, uh, surgeons are, are never home, but they're not on the road. You know, they, they tend to be in the same geographical area. So this is one of those unique areas of uh, medicine where I'm actually like gone, gone, like out of town, gone. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't take credit for it. I mean, my two kids are, are fantastic and uh, they both take more after their mom than their dad. And that's probably why. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, uh, and so I, uh, you know, there was a point where I was kind of like I was saying a coach was, I was like coach dad, like I was always looking at the 2%, uh, you know, they would be 98% good. And I'd be looking at the 2% going, you know, let's, let's work on this. And uh, uh, I think I finally got to the point uh, or wised up enough to realize, you know, that my time with these kids in the house is limited and I need to be, you know, reveling in the 98%. And just you know, letting other people worry about the two percent, and mm -hmm. so I think uh, um, that's gone a long way to, to I think making them not cringe when I walk into a room and, and wonder where the next criticism is coming from, and just you know, just you know, loving them up and uh, enjoying being around them, and and being excited to see you know where they go with their talents and uh, and where it takes them. I mean, I I, I think that is so, uh, and again, that's that's based on the wisdom of my wife, who's, you know, gently corrected you know, some of my coach tendencies. And, uh, um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful for her uh, um, relationship and, and also uh, her helping me enjoy the relationship with our kids, uh, actually having, making me more enjoyable for my kids. Mm -hmm. you, know, you have a, you have an incredible family. Of course, Miss Kendall's awesome. And uh, yeah, we definitely, it takes a village, doesn't it, Dr. Bray? You can't do it alone. There's no way. You can't work in sports and and not be able to have just a great family, a team at home, strong team at home before you can do a good job at, at your work. So it's huge. Well, and I, I also, I mean, the culture at UT was, I was pleasantly surprised at how welcome families are yeah. uh, around here. I mean, that, you know, they, they, they do a good job realizing that, that you know, time uh, this is a, time is a precious commodity, and that if we can involve our families, you know, with whatever we do here, that mm -hmm. that is encouraged, and uh, and that comes from the top down. So I I'm really grateful to be working in a place that that you know I love to spend 55, 60 hours a week in my job, but I also love being able to bring you know the kids in for for five to ten hours of that. So. That's good. I had one more fun question is uh, that we didn't talk about, but what are your big hobbies, Doctor Bray? You seem like you, you've all, it seems like you they kind of jumps around a little bit, but I was listening to a podcast the other day. You talk about podcasts, but just you know, as I've gotten older and, and been in my career longer, it's I think it's so important. You know, you got to have your job right. You got to make make your career, make a living. You got your family, but like you got to have a little hobby there too to kind of kind of keep you keep you learning. What what's your big hobbies right now? Right now, because <laughs> like you said, it changes. For a while, it was uh, uh, facial hair grooming. Uh, I see uh, Joe's taking over that title from me. 
I like physical exercise. I mean, I like, you know, pushing myself. I'm like I said, I'm never really good at any of it. So there's always room for improvement. And so for a while I was doing like endurance sports, like marathons or triathlons. But, you know, when you have a job that takes up a lot of your time, you really want to spend the rest of it with your family. Exactly. And so, you know, doing something as time consuming as endurance sports just sort of lost some of its luster. But I still like exercise on a regular basis, as you know. You know, bodybuilding, you know, by Donnie and that mod club, you know, we get after it. And that's, that is, a, I mean, I don't know if that counts as a hobby because I don't think hobbies are meant to be that painful. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <be> pleasurable. <laughs> it feels good when we stop. <laughs> so glad when we're done. Yes, sir. <laughs> but otherwise, I just tend to pick up, right? Honestly, right now, I'm letting uh, my kids drive my interests. I mean, my, my daughter has just wrapped up her tennis season and starting softball. So now I've gone from enjoying tennis to softball. Well, my son's still playing tennis. So I feel like watching tennis, but gosh, I, you know, the things that my kids get into are completely different than what I did as a kid. And it's actually fascinating to watch where their interests take them. My daughter has now gone into photography, pottery. Um, she's done that through school. My son has become uh, politically aware and my goodness, the ideas that go through his head or that he actually that he researches, you know, and the great philosophers. I mean, he he can tell you that the, all the different like philosophers and, and existentialism versus nihilism, you know, and where he falls on the spectrum. I mean, it's just it's incredible. I can't keep up with that kids <laughs> just some of the time. So sure. that in itself has been entertaining and so that that uh that's most of the way I, I spend my time i also fantasize about traveling but i don't actually get to travel i mean other than you know with with the job i mean i have gotten to see more of the united states than i ever dreamed i would just more college towns than mm -hmm. than uh, which is fabulous i love that part of it someday i plan to, to see some of the the natural beauties of the world or the you know the you know, hike the Grand Canyon or, or go to New Zealand or, or Alaska or, you know, just take in some of the, the natural wonders of the world. Uh, that'll be a, a chapter after I'm wrapped up here. Yeah, I can see that travel is definitely something I know you enjoy. I think we share that commonality. I know, I think Joe likes to travel, but I just like exploring and seeing new places and meeting new people I've never met. And I know you share that, that same interest, but yeah, you got to have time and money to do that for sure. So yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Uh, as we wrap up, if the listeners want to reach out, connect with you, what would be the best or easiest way for anybody listening would like to, to reach out and connect with you? How would they do that, Doc? Through email is probably the best way. Can I just give my email address? Yeah. Perfect. It's uh, james.bray at athletics.utexas.edu. And I'm frequently checking email. So if it's been more than a day or two, then it went to my junk pile. So. That's right. Awesome. Well, Dr. Bray, it's it's been a, a it's been a pleasure, Joe. Appreciate you helping out today uh, with the show. Any closing comments from you, Joe? Anything you want to add? Anything, Joe, Dr. Bray? Before we get out of here, I was to say about the the traveling thing real quick. I, I like the road trip because uh, then you get to stop along the way. If you do a yeah. plane, you you know it's there's only two places you can go from from where you came from and and then back again. So I like, I like to road trip a lot. I can stop along the way. Yeah. It makes it a lot more fun. Yeah. My, part of my travel fantasy is uh, van life. 
my Kendall is going to have nothing to do with it. And she sees me looking at things like tripped out vans with a bed in the back and this tiny little bathroom. And she just shakes her head. She is not, she is not excited about that. But I agree with Joe. Like, I want to see not only point A and point B, but all points in between. And if there's a point C that's just off the, you know, the beaten path, I want to drive over there and check that out too. So, yeah. I'll tell you, actually, uh, Donnie, one of the, the influences that I've had about this idea too was you remember i think it was two like the volleyball trip you were on it we went to uh oh, where were we croatia i want to say there was a an opportunity to do some sea, sea kayaking that because of time pressures i didn't do it like kendall oh, wanted yeah. to do it and i didn't do it and i've always regretted it like i've always thought you know i, I want to travel in a way that if some an opportunity like sea kayaking comes up that I have time to just go do that. And then if the next day, you know, there's a hike I want to do, I can do that too. There's not like the next next town to get to. There's not like a bus leaving. I just yeah. want to like stay in a place until I'm sick of it and then move on to the next place. Yeah, it's so, tough, to, tough to do that on those trips where it's everything planned out, but I feel yeah. you on that. Yeah. Time crunch. Yeah. So that's just kind of building on what Joe was saying. I mean, I, I want to do some, so I think they call it slow travel where there's not an agenda. You just sit and absorb everything there is to a place until you're, you're tired of it and you just move you know, on to the next one that, again, that, that piques your curiosity. Well, good. Hopefully, we get out of this pandemic, we'll all get to travel a little bit more. That's right. It's coming. Something to look forward to. So, That's right. Well, Dr. Bray, it has been a, a distinct pleasure to have finally get you on. We appreciate your time and expertise. I appreciate you having me. This was fun. Yeah, it's been fun. Joe, thank you for... Uh, being a co-pilot today on the team behind the team. And hey, that's all we got from Austin. We're signing off and we will care. We got some great guests coming up for you in 2021. So keep listening, keep tuning in. And if you have not done so already, please go on iTunes, leave a review so we can keep the show going and keep providing great content. Again, Donnie Mabe, Dr. James Bray and Coach Joe Krosick from Austin. Hook them horns and we'll catch you next month. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Team Behind the Team podcast. For future episodes, go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. We definitely want to keep having great guests on the show and great content. So if you have a moment, please go to iTunes, leave a rating and review, and let us know how we're doing. I'm Donnie Mabe, and thanks so much for tuning in.